Dear God, I just come before you and I recognize that you are the creator of this day and each one of us and this session. And Lord, we want to honor you uh, with what happens here today and with our lives. And we recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior, your son, uh, who came to this earth and died so that we can be um, reinstated in a relationship with you. So we just raise you up, Lord, and raise up your son, and I ask for your blessing that your words would come forth and that we would know clearly how best to represent you in our careers and our families and our work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, my name is Dr. Suzanne Snyder, and this session is entitled Holistic Health. We're going to be exploring that. Um, first off, I want to state I have no financial relationships, nothing to disclose, and uh, I'm not going to be using investigational uses of medicines or supplies. So get that out of the way. Um, God has blessed me with the chance to wear a lot of different hats. And right now I work as an emergency room physician at, for a community hospital in, uh, near Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, but I've also, uh, I'm also a medical doctor. And I've had a chance to be mom, well, I'm still mom, uh, to these two girls who are now grown. And when they were small, um, we lived and worked in Kenya, East Africa, and I had a chance to be a medical missionary there on the field for 15 years and still get to be continue, uh, continue a relationship with the medical work that's ongoing there. We lived and worked with the Maasai tribes people. Uh, the Maasai are a very traditional people group, pastoralist, uh, semi-nomadic herdsmen who live a very traditional lifestyle as they have for hundreds of years, a very hospitable group, um, but definitely with a lifestyle that where they have a lot of health needs. They are the second poorest tribe in Kenya. I worked with Christian Missionary Fellowship, CMFI, on a team that was primarily focused on evangelism and church planting. I was the only doctor on our team, and so our family focused on the medical ministries, which included oversight of uh, dispensaries in remote village locations. There are now up to nine clinics uh, in remote village locations that provide a variety of services, ambulatory care, antenatal care, vaccines, a whole array of, of services. And they're ongoing. And I'm, I'm just, uh, it's a blessing that even though I'm not on the field full time, um, we have Maasai Christians, church leaders, and clinic staff that are continuing that ministry. And um, I sit on that board, and I get to go and visit them once or twice a year and continue that partnership. And it's been um, a blessing. And I see another teammate here with me that even though we're not there, the ministry is sustained. And God, I just give God credit that uh, the churches are still growing and continuing, and the medical ministries are continuing. So I'm going to be speaking today from my experience um, of the time that I had there in Kenya and continue. And we're going to talk about holistic health. And we're going to explore definitions of holistic health. What does that mean? And how do we go about doing it? Um, comparing and comp- contrasting how Jesus came both to preach the good news and to heal the sick and how he did both of those. And, and we want to do the same. Acknowledging that every patient and every medical condition has not only physical but also emotional, spiritual, social components and discuss how we really need to integrate those and recognize them to be effective in our diagnosis and treatment. Uh, First, a little bit of comic relief. Uh, Looking here at the list, holistic health is right there amongst other treatment modalities, but from the public perspective, 
mom's chicken soup may be just as effective as any therapeutic we have to offer, so we can't necessarily take ourselves too seriously. In getting ready for this talk and thinking about holistic health, um, definitely that's one of the current trendy words in missions. If you want to be savvy in missions, talk about sustainability or holistic health. But what on earth does that mean anyway? And getting ready for this lecture, I actually Googled it. Um, there, I know it's kind of funny doctors use Google, but yes. Um, actually do Google a lot of things, particularly anatomy things that I can't seem to remember at this stage. Um, but I Googled international, uh, sorry, holistic health, and it was a vast array of sites. Um, and a lot of the Google sites on holistic health were secular. And if there was any religious connection, it was often to Far Eastern religion rather than Christianity. But the current trends, and uh, the Google sites mentioned a lot of terms that you'll see. And um, those current trends and terms included things like integration, integration of treatment strategies or integrating therapeutics, integrating nutrition was one of the sites, holistic nutrition that would transform your mind, body, and soul. Seemed kind of a fishy site, actually. I think they were trying to sell something. But uh, there was another site talked about holistic health and equated it with affordable, successful drug and alcohol rehab. And then there was the American Holistic Health Association. Um, actually, this was a free, impartial clearinghouse connecting people to self-help wellness resources. focus there was integrating mind, body, and spirit to better cope with an illness or enhance health. A lot of times the targets are wellness from within, connecting to our spirituality. There was also a database um, of practitioners with healing centers that use a holistic approach. And there was evidence-based research cited. Many sites, when you um, Google holistic health, you get alternative medicine. And I think probably a lot of us, when we hear that term holistic health, will think about, you know, we kind of make that jump to holistic health and holistic medicine. Um, the Holistic Health Center, for example, uh, offers acupuncture, Chinese herbal medicine, and therapeutic massage. There's also a Holistic Health Facebook page, um, which is an open chat room um, to exchange information on all, all things holistic, uh, to achieve balanced nutrition, clean eating, finding cures through food and herbs. Unfortunately, there's no credentials that are needed to post on a Facebook page. So definitely some people, to them, holistic medicine is uh, defined strictly as complementary or alternative medicine. Some holistic practitioners use unproven or sometimes even disproven methods to treat illness. And a lot of times in our conventional medicine setting, alternative medicine is often viewed with skepticism, as there have been several published scientific studies that dispute the efficacy beyond the placebo effect. The American Cancer Society states that available scientific evidence does not support claims that these complementary or alternative methods when used without mainstream medicine or conventional medicine are effective in treating cancer or another disease. And the American Cancer Society recommends if holistic medicine is to be used at all, it would be in conjunction with conventional medicine, not as a replacement. However, other people use holistic medicine to mean treating the whole person rather than simply managing a disease. And so that's kind of where I want to take the, the definition. A lot of mainstream health professionals will promote 
healthy lifestyle habits such as exercising, eating a nutritious diet, not smoking, managing stress, all of those as important to maintaining good health. And actually, holistic methods, I think, are becoming much more common in mainstream medicine to be used alongside preventive health or other standard treatments. For example, Vanderbilt, my alma mater, this is their logo for the Vanderbilt Center for Integrative Health. And in mainstream practices, doctors, nurses, and other health professionals will add complementary or non-mainstream treatments to their usual care. This could be called integrative or holistic care. Increasingly, I'm seeing that our healthcare teams are made of a varied group of health professionals, including internists, nurses, the surgeons, the radiation therapists, the oncologists, but also psychiatrists, psychologists, and social workers. Our team in the ER includes a social worker. And a lot of times the healthcare teams will also include dietitians and physical therapists and clergy for support. Because I think we're beginning to realize that a person's health depends on the balance of physical, psychological, social, spiritual, and cultural forces. So let's look at these definitions. Holistic health is a concept in medical practice that all aspects of people's needs, including psychological, physical, and social, should be taken into account and seen as a whole. The definition used most often in alternative medicine is that disease is the result of physical, emotional, spiritual, social, or environmental imbalance. And thus, therapies aim to restore the balance. And the spiritual element definitely should be taken into account when assessing a person's overall well-being. Holistic medicine focuses on how the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual elements of a person are interconnected to maintain health. And when one part is not working well, it affects the whole person. The holistic approach focuses on the whole person rather than just on the illness or the one part of the body that's not healthy. So treating the whole person, not just managing the disease. Health depends on addressing physical, psychological, social, and spiritual components at the same time. According to the World Health Organization, diseases and health conditions are by and large studied in separate silos. But health is not a standalone phenomenon with clear boundaries. Diseases and health conditions have multiple causes, including social. They are interrelated with nature and nurture and evolve over time. So a holistic framework is needed to capture disparate diseases and health conditions and their intricate relationships. As stated in the Annuals of General Psychiatry, Promoting physical and more recently mental health is globally recognized, but little attention has been given to the interrelationship between the two. Poor physical health can make individuals susceptible to poor mental health. Similarly, we know that people living with mental illnesses are at much greater risk than the general population for developing certain physical health problems, notably cardiovascular disease, diabetes, or obesity. Compared to the general population, people with severe mental illness lose 25 to 30 years of life expectancy. So it is important to consider them together at the same time. Let's take an example of depression. In a given year, nearly 15 million adults in the U.S. suffer from depression. 
In depression, taking medication is only one of the treatment options. A holistic approach focuses on treating the whole being, mind and body, to feel better. And a healthy diet, as well as exercise and talk therapy, are a few of the holistic approaches used along with medication to speed recovery. There's actually a chart in my hospital that says that food is the most overused drug for anxiety and exercise is the least used medication for depression. And I think that's true. From my personal experience, uh, walking, uh, getting the body moving, actually is one of the best uh, additives to depression and mental health treatment. Um, And those with depression often have comorbidities, such as diabetes, heart disease, stroke, or cancer, which makes treating the whole person even more important. Well, is God concerned about holistic health? And what does the Bible have to say? Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Luke 10, 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. To me, this is a perfect scripture to look at holistic health. And Jesus says right there, heart, soul, the spiritual aspect with all your strength, your physical aspect with all your mind, the mental aspect, and love your neighbor, social. So it's bing, bing, bing. <laughs> it's all right there. Luke four eighteen through 19, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives be released, that the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. I think Jesus was uniquely skilled and capable of working holistically. He addressed physical and spiritual conditions seamlessly. He healed the sick. He provided cures for blindness, leprosy, Paralysis, all at one hand, and then cast out demons and forgave sin and raised the dead. All in one day's work. So it was pretty amazing. And he was acutely aware that physical illness and spiritual disease are interconnected and had to be treated in conjunction. In Matthew 9, he tells the paralyzed man as he restores his strength that his sins are also forgiven. So I think Jesus gives us a perfect example of interrelating the two. So what does holistic health mean in missions? You know, I I think, for me, looking at these scriptures and and the example of Jesus, God is very concerned about holistic health. In fact, he's the creator of it. He's the Lord of holistic health. And what does it mean for the mission field? Well, let's go back to the definition. Physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual elements of a person are interconnected and must be taken into account to effectively identify the illness, to make a diagnosis, and to effect appropriate treatment. To be successful as a healthcare professional, we have to treat our patients as a whole. And I've found that ever to be so true on the mission field. What I'd like to do is tell five stories from my personal experience and discuss some of the lessons I learned. So, case one. In this case, a young Maasai mother brought her 10-month-old infant into the clinic, stating he was deathly ill. The clinic worker looked the baby over and really didn't find anything wrong, but the mother was quite insistent. No, my baby's really, really sick. So 
he asked me, send a note up. I was doing homeschool, and he said, when homeschool's finished, will you come down and see this baby? When we lived out in the bush, um, I had my two girls, and I um, was their homeschool teacher and mom, um, and I would do clinic one day a week, and then after, after school hours or whenever they needed me. Occasionally, there'd be something serious, and they'd just say, come now. I'd say, okay, school's done, and go down to the clinic. So, but this one, the clinic worker said, when you're done with school, come on down. So I, I went down about 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon and um, saw this child. And during the time, um, she had been in the clinic, and the baby had not had any fever, wasn't having any trouble breathing, wasn't throwing up, was gooing, cooing, happy baby. And I examined the child um, carefully and came to the same conclusion, that the baby looked fine to me. And I explained that to the mother, but the mother was just convinced that this child was deathly ill and we were surely missing something. So I examined the baby again, and I went through every system, and I said, well, listen to the heart, and the heart sounds good, and listen to the lungs, the lungs sound clear, and examine the abdomen, and said, well, they, you know, everything's working very well. But still, she insisted this child was just near death. And I said, well, what's wrong? You know, her only objective complaint was that the child had not eaten since morning. And I thought, okay, well, that's kind of rather nondescript, um, and to me, the child looked wonderful, so I couldn't really, I didn't see it connect there. But as I tried to reaffirm the mother again, she was muttering something. And um, I had learned Maasai, and I, I could communicate with people pretty well, but I couldn't quite catch what she was saying. So I asked my clinic worker, what is she saying? He said, well, what she's saying is that, you know, it's, it's about dusk, it's it's." sundown and she's going to be walking to the closest village here to spend the night and what she's saying is that as she walks to the village she's going to leave the baby under the bush for the carnivores to eat tonight yes I was flabbergasted and I asked again and she said the same thing no I'm going to leave it under the bush because he's dying and we'll just let the animals eat him tonight and I thought, oh, my goodness. I was flabbergasted, but I realized, okay, I need to do something, or this child will die tonight. So I was, like, a scratch in my head, like, okay, quick regroup. Um, how about asymptomatic bacteremia? Yes. Okay, we'll <laughs> go with that diagnosis. And the treatment is ampicillin genomycin, two injections twice a day for three days. Okay, so we did that, and uh, we gave the baby two shots, ampicillin genomycin, and we told the mom, okay, bring the baby back in the morning for two more shots, and again in the afternoon for two more shots for three days. And she did. She took the child home, and she brought the baby back the next day, and he got his two shots, and then he came back in the afternoon, he got two more shots, and he did that for three days, and after three days, she brought him up to my house, and she knocked on the door, and I went to see the baby, and he was going, going, looking wonderful, just like he did three days before. But she said, my baby's well. Well, praise God. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Fantastic. Okay. And she actually then brought him back like nine months later. Um, and, and then again, like a year later, when he, I remember she brought him at the point that he was like walking and, and running and, and like, look, you know, you did, you did so much. You healed my baby. I, I didn't get it. Um, and I talked to the clinic worker later, like, 
what what just went on what had her so convinced that he was going to she was going to basically let him die what prompted her compelled her to throw her child away and his response was satan this is this is satan's work i i don't i still to this day don't know exactly did she believe the child was under a curse had she committed a social taboo like having sexual intercourse during pregnancy and felt like he was going to bear the repercussions of her sin i don't know but what i learned is that i had a lot of education but i didn't necessarily know my culture as well as i thought and i learned that my western medical perspective came crashing against my culture and i learned i have to listen to the patient and i have to listen to the family and i have to listen to my coworkers because at that point uh, they knew their culture better than i did okay next case uh to illustrate the etiology of an illness is it physical mental or spiritual well there was a a febrile young woman who was carried into the clinic and laid down on the floor comatose and unresponsive The chief complaint was that she had been found earlier in the day running around the village without her clothes on. But and she was just laying there in a hump on the floor. But occasionally she would bolt up sitting straight up and start screaming and ranting for several minutes and then boom, slump down again unresponsive. Only to repeat the whole thing about 10 minutes later. and I thought this is bizarre she was laying there and then boom she jump up and rant what that's scream and yell and then flump down again what is going on is this a psychotic break is this a weird seizure disorder is this demon possession that actually had my vote well the nurse said let's test for malaria and i thought okay my tropical medicine textbook didn't mention this manifestation but her blood smear was glaringly positive. And after 3 days of IV quinine and Fancidar, she turned into a really calm, nice lady again. Okay, so maybe she's not the most modest, but actually by Maasai standards, she is very appropriate here. And I learned. I learned that sometimes the etiology of illness is not real clear-cut. And I also learned that I had to listen to my clinic workers. Yes, they only had an 8th grade education. and I had an MD behind my name but they knew more about the diseases than in that area than I did and they certainly knew the language and their culture better than I did and they were the experts in their area okay I have to show a cool missionary kid picture this is not an Olin Mills backdrop this is my daughter getting to ride horseback among the giraffe all right um notoparmwat Uh, was ancient by Maasai terms. She first presented to the clinic with failure to thrive, weight loss, skin rash, oral thrush, enlarged lymph nodes and a productive cough. She was too sick to get out of bed and basically she was dying. She had two sons and several daughters that had already died to AIDS and her HIV test was positive as you might guess. Oral thrush and pulmonary tuberculosis were her AIDS defining illness suggesting it's CD4 count less than 500. She was started on TB medicines and then ARVs 
And within a few months, she stopped coughing, she gained weight, and she was walking again. And she felt much better. And she stopped coming to the clinic. And after three months, the family called the clinic workers to make a house call. And he found out that Ngoto Parmwat had stopped taking her ARVs because she was feeling better. Now she had a relapse. And the big question would be, is she resistant to the medication? Would she be able to take those medications again? So our clinic worker started DOT therapy, direct observation therapy, where he got on his bicycle and he rode to her village every day and he handed her the pills and he watched her take them. And he did that for months. Um, And I was able to join him on one of those home visits. And I was very impressed that he did not chide her. He was very compassionate and he prayed with her. And I learned. Well, physical illness is definitely impacted by social factors and social preconceptions and constraints. Adherence for us is a huge problem. Actually, it's hard in the U.S. too to get patients to continue medicines when they're feeling better and stronger. It's difficult to get patients to return for refills. If uh, a patient is more than a day's walk from the clinic, it's hard for them to come back each month, and they often don't have the money for the transportation costs. So sometimes we have to get very creative and sometimes labor-intensive techniques for community dispensing of ARVs. We had to get aggressive with compliance because at the time we only had two regimens of ARVs, and resistance to those two within a community could spell disaster. So we got creative with treatment strategies and education within the community because really community education was, was part of the key to adherence. And this is where community, clinic, and church integration is vital. And we've had a lot of creative strategies, community education, CHE training, community health evangelism, curriculum, support groups, getting people together to see how um, continuing with the medications does lead to better health and getting back to work and taking care of families, and home-based care. And the lesson here is to keep in mind the limitations of the social resources, but at the same time to maximize the local resources for optimal treatment success. All right. Next case. Um, Illustrating medical illness sometimes brings economic hardship. When I went to visit Nolari, I made a house call to visit her, a 28-year-old Maasai woman, She was laying inside in the dark um, on her cowskin bed, very thin and cold. She was carried outside for us to see. She was the only wife of three remaining. Her eyes stared past me, glazed and empty. She was emaciated and unable to walk due to weakness. She really looked like a skeleton with skin on, the classic Slim's disease. She was also really minimally responsive, whether it's from dehydration or AIDS dementia. She could barely follow commands. Her children and those of her co-wives huddled around the cooking fire, and they smiled at me very sweetly, kind of wondering if I was going to give them something to eat because tea was all they had for the day. Outside in the corral, um, there were no animals. Uh, Her husband comes home only occasionally. He is ashamed of her, even though he's the one who's passed on the disease to his wives. There were... Like I said, no goats, no sheep, nothing in the crowd, nothing to sell for food. Um, 
all of the animals had been sold um, in attempts to get healing for her co-wives and herself. Nalari carries not only the physical disease, disease of AIDS, but also the emotional pain and stigma of rejection and guilt. She carries the social burdens of poverty and the dismal fact that every animal and means of livelihood had been sold to attempt healing, only really to be left with the grim reality that she had nothing to feed the children left in her care. Fortunately, we had ARVs to offer her, and the mobile clinic came to her village every month to dispense the medications. She was also the recipient of home-based care. In fact, it saved her life. There were women from the church who came to her house, carried firewood and water and cooked for her. They even hand-fed her until she was strong enough to care for herself. Fortunately, Nolari is doing well. She's strong and she's caring for her family again. And from this story, I hope you can see that AIDS is not just a physical illness. Certainly, it is a physical problem, a medical diagnosis that needs pharmaceuticals. But it's also a problem that has emotional, mental, social, and spiritual aspects. AIDS brings illness, but it also brings loss, grief, social ostracism, fear, and economic devastation. Thus, AIDS care needs a holistic approach that will address each of these facets. ARBs, yes, but also vitamins and food supplements, support groups, home-based care, micro-enterprise, and child sponsorships. And a lesson learned? Well, there was a whole lot of stuff that I ended up doing on the 14 years on the mission field that I never learned about in medical school. I didn't, they didn't teach me about feeding programs uh, or drought relief. Um, we actually had a drought and ended up with a food program, but it had to be a uh, food for work. I'd never heard about, never learned about a food for work program, but had to figure that one out with teammates. Um, goat restocking projects, AIDS support groups. And this group was so proud when they got their national certification. They're holding there. And child sponsorships. So there was a lot of different activities during um, ministry on the field. Uh, a lot of programs that really had nothing to do with pharmaceuticals, but everything to do with healing. And I found out that, fortunately, there are, it's a team effort. That I may not be necessarily trained in all those different aspects, but taking that holistic approach and calling on other groups and other teammates, we worked together for healing. Okay, case number five. I found that patients often went to the local Libon before they came to the clinic. The Libon is a traditional healer. Some people would call them a witch doctor, um, whatever term, a traditional healer. A lot of times the, the local folks would go to them before they would come to the clinic. The healer, the Libon, was a respected member of the community, and the Libon was able to discern if an illness was from a curse or not and what treatments were needed. The Libon treatments would often include herbs, mud packs, amulets, cuttings. Yeah, sometimes making cuts in the skin and pouring different herbs or salts or mud or things inside. Um, or counter curses. 
um, sacrifices or payments to bring favor from a specific spirit. So not only was the Libon a key community leader and a doctor or healer, a physical healer, but he was also a spiritual leader with the connection, a connection with God, a connection to the spirit world. It wasn't until my second term in Kenya, I went to the CMDA, Christian Medical and Dental Association, continuing education course. The guest speaker of that year was an anthropologist, and he explained the components and truths about African medical worldview. In particular, from an African worldview, medical illness raises spiritual questions. And from the African perspective, doctors, whether it's a local Libon or a Western health practitioner, physician, doctors as a whole are spiritual leaders. Doctors have a connection with God and the ability to call God down for action. And if we did not or do not recognize this expectation and meet the expectation, then we're actually committing medical malpractice from an African perspective. Well, this changed my life, actually, and my practice. I began to see I was a leader in the community. I was not just a doctor and a physical healer. I was also a spiritual leader in the community. And I needed to look for the spiritual etiologies or the connections to each illness. And I needed to connect patients to God for healing to be effective. I had a voice, but I also had respect and a reputation. And this was huge. It was actually a very heavy responsibility, but it's also an incredible opportunity to represent Jesus Christ and to honor him. So how do you go about doing that? How do you integrate spirituality into a medical practice? This was also something that tends not to be included in our American medical education. So I had several strategies that I developed and wanted to point out in terms of suggestions to how to integrate spiritual, integrate, how to do spiritual integration. First strategy was just asking questions. So what's going on at home? What's going on in your family? Do you go to church? So just asking questions, asking patients to, you know, kind of tell me what's going on at home. What's going on with your family? Um, what do you think is causing this? What has made you sick? It's very interesting, some of the, the explanations that would be given. And that's their perspective, even though it doesn't make sense from our mindset, our worldview in terms of pathology, that's where they're coming from. And if we don't recognize it, then, like I said, it's kind of a medical malpractice from their perspective. So asking questions. The second was that I told patients that God was the one who made, made the medicines we use, and we need to call on him to make them effective and to thank him when they are effective. So basically, and, and this, is, this is actually... Um, there, there's a saying um, from Tenwick, uh, we treat but God heals. And um, I still do this to this day. And sometimes even in America. I, it's interesting. I had to go to Africa to learn how to integrate God into my medical practice. Um, but coming back, 
I will still say this sometimes to patients. Well, God's the one who's made the medicines we use. So uh, let's ask him to make them effective. And then um, recognizing him when healing happens. So basically giving credit where credit is due. Um, Then... Yes, um, that next strategy is openly giving Jesus credit when healing happens and encouraging people to go to church. So when people would come back for follow-up, if they were better, I would ask them, do you understand why you're better? Do you know who has done this? Basically trying to deflect it from me. I'm not the one who made you well. God is the one. Jesus, Jesus is the one who made you well. He's the one who made the medicines. He's the one who made them effective. So it would be very appropriate for you to go to church and thank him because you're better. And um, a lot of times, too, with the clinic workers, um, and and all of our clinic workers are Christian. Um, A lot of them are actually pastors or leaders in their church. Um, particularly our HIV-AIDS counselors, very often our pastors that we've retrained and gotten certified. And so there's a lot of connections in our clinic system with the church. Um, But for me, as kind of, you know, the white face, the American authority, to come in and say the same things in terms of, yes, you need to go to church, and you need to, to understand that Jesus is the one who has given you healing, and you should go and thank him. The um, next strategy that I used was prayer. Um, and I'm a little ashamed to say as a Christian physician, I didn't really pray with patients in training or until I got to Africa. But as a missionary, I learned to pray with patients. And I learned um, a simple six-line prayer that I could say in Maasai. And it went something like this. Papa um, and basically it was um, Father God in heaven, thank you for this patient, this girl, boy, whatever, um, bless them, help the medicine to enter their body, um, bless them with healing, bless them so that they will know that Jesus gives healing and good life. So a very simple line, and even after not being on the field full-time for several years, God has given me grace that I can actually still say that prayer. I go back to Kenya, and I go back to visit my Maasai is a mess. Um, I have to use a translator most of the time now. I can do a li- I can do some in the clinic, and I can kind of get by. But my skills have really gone down. But I can still pray that prayer. And so I I ask patients if I can pray with them, and I pray in their language and try to point them to Jesus through that. And I have found that to be a very effective strategy for me. And actually, coming back to the U.S. Um, that continues to be one of my best strategies. I'm, I don't, I'm not a profound evangelist. I'm not really a profound speaker. But when I ask to pray with patients, I'd say in the last 20 years, only 
two, maybe three times have people turned me down. Most of the time, people are very, very grateful. Occasionally, they will gather their whole family around or call in everybody else. Oh, my doctor's going to pray for me. It, it has tremendous power. And if you ask permission, then it's ethical. And so praying for patients is, is a powerful way to connect with them. All right. Um, in conclusion, I just want to stress that holistic health realizes that illness has physical, mental, emotional, economic, and social components, and really recognizing all of those and addressing them in an integrated way is the best way to make a diagnosis and for optimal healing to occur. All right. So at this point, we have some time, and I can already see a lot of experts here in the room with even more experience than me. Um, and so I'd like to just open it up for some discussion. We have time for questions and discussion um, on holistic health. Um, yes. Since you've come back and you've worked in the ER, have you kept to integrate a lot of your holistic health into your ER treatments? Wow. He's asking, have I been able to integrate holistic health into my ER treatments? Sadly, no. And... Um, I mean, partly. I, I still can pray with patients, um, and I'm able to do s- some one-on-one with people. Um, it's, to me, unfortunate that the, our American medical culture has really um, pushed productivity as a high priority. And unfortunately, my every movement in the ER is on a computer screen and tracked by time. And after working in my ER about six months, I got a letter. We're concerned about your productivity. Um, You're spending too much time in the patient's room, and you're not seeing them fast enough, and you're not getting them out fast enough. Um, So I'm I'm left. uh, The reality I live with right now is I'm supposed to be in and out of the patient room in five minutes. And they're supposed to be out of the ER in a certain number of minutes. So it's very hard. It's very hard, I've found, to try to have one-on-one discussions with people. So it's, it's kind of sad. I don't necessarily like it, but I'm still trying to learn how, to, how, how do you deal with that. Some of the strategies that I've actually, um, in developing and working here, um, Well, one, I would say, is um, focusing on the team I work with. Um, one, one of my realizations uh, was as people walk in the doors, coworkers walk in the door, there's usually some reaction from the nurses and the receptionists. And I realized, do I want to be one of those people when they walk in the door, they're like, oh, Dr. Snyder's here today. Or do I want to be somebody that, oh, wow, Dr. Snyder is here today. And uh, for me, one of the key Christian witnesses is to be somebody that it's it's a good reaction when I walk in the door. Um, There are a lot of things that I have to do to maintain that. Praying as I go to work every day. Um, Watching what I say watching negativism, realizing that basically my, my faith 
is an integral part of who I am. And occasionally I will get a chance to verbalize that. But for the most part, it's living it. Living it. Yeah. I don't know if you all could hear that. Thank you so much for speaking up. But you're in primary care practice? Yes. So family physician, um, and you've learned and trained and evolved to actually ask patients about social issues, spiritual issues, and take note of that and try to direct them to counselors to get spiritual and social healing, not just pharmaceuticals. Cool. Thank you. Yes. Um, you mentioned uh, how you need to be like you need to edit Jesus like when you're healing. Yeah. Like how how do you do that when prayers become current answered in the way that we expect it to? Like how do you do that for someone who doesn't have a big background? 
they come back in and think they're not better? When they're not better? Yes. So how to respond when healing doesn't happen as we expected? Yeah, that's tough. Um, Wow, there's there's not a real simple answer to that. Um, I've I've used some resources in terms of books and resources. um, Where's God When It Hurts? Dobson has an excellent book. There's some other ones on, you know, where's God when when there's suffering. Um, Are there any thoughts in here? There's not an easy answer, um, but a lot of times listening, and if people know there's actually somebody who's listening to me and who does care, um, that speaks a lot. We don't necessarily have, yeah. Everything doesn't work out the way we expect it to all the time, so that's, that is very hard. I would, I would rather want to comment on that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I'm actually working in a mission hospital in Pakistan. Okay. So I'm dealing with the Muslim patients most of the time. So it's a bit easier over there because although people do not believe in Jesus, but they have that element of spirituality. Yes, you know? right. So as, as you were mentioning about, so you so it's sort of, easy to correlate and sort of, you know, switch on that spirituality factor and then sort of integrate Jesus into that. Mm-hmm. Well, once, if, if the person is not really believing in Jesus, and, you know, you say, well, I'm not well. So, you know, if you're mentioning about uh, God is with you or God is, you know, taking care of you, but I'm not well, okay? So, so, the, so the easier factor is to sort of, you know, convince them or teach them about the spiritual aspect that, you know, it's, it's not always about the body. We have. We all have to leave. I mean, nothing. Mm-hmm. Nobody is going to stay in, in this world, and we all are going to go away in different ways. But it's all about you know us reaching that that limit where our our, our spirituality and our sense is actually acceptable to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's how I relate to my patients at, at my hospital. Like sometimes, and the other thing I would want to add on is if you're working in a reputable institution. And people believe that, oh, well, if I go to that center of uh, healthcare provision, so I'm going to be well, okay? Now, it's, it's really a thin line between their belief in the institution or the need of the belief in Jesus Christ, okay? And if you are, and, 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 it, and if the person gets better, then it really puts you in a difficult position, whether to credit yourself or, mm. or shift that credit directly to Jesus, okay, well, no, well, I was just a, just a, a you know, you know, an instrument in mm-hmm. Jesus' hands yeah. to make you make you get better. So it it's, it just really depends on how convincingly you you basically tell them that God loves you. You know, that's that's what the main key factor is. And when you because when you love somebody, so you might get hurt as well. You know, but the main thing is that that it's not always about the physical healing. It's about, about mainly about the spiritual healing. Mm-hmm. So um, so so that's that's really important. I appreciate your perspective and, and cross-cultural perspective because I found that was easier. Your question on kind of people who are suffering and how to answer that was easier in Africa um, or in, I've been to Afghanistan and so some other places, they actually deal with it better than Americans do generally. Yeah, yes. Um, I worked in, in 
Zambia for about mm -hmm. two and a half years, so I know that African culture, but I was an ER doctor in the States mm -hmm. for many years. So I see those two differences. And one thing, one tool that has helped me in both places actually is that I draw, when they look at that question, why are bad things happening to good people? Why has God not healed me? Those kind of questions is I draw a big circle. And I said, within this circle is all the knowledge for the entire universe. How much of it is yours? And I've been shocked, of course, by various people saying different percentages. And I said, well, you know, mine is this little speck down here. I've been in school a long time. And the more school I go to, the more I know I don't know about this world. But what I do know is that all the knowledge in there is God's knowledge. Right? Greek, this is the knowledge of God, the creator of the universe. And everybody usually can agree regardless of what yes, their faith yes. is. Right? So I say, is it possible that even though you don't understand why God has allowed the suffering, there is a reason, and it's a very good reason, it's for your good and for God's glory. Is it possible that within the circle that you don't know how it works, that that could be it? And they start to nod. They begin to see that they are all not all-knowing, whether they're an American sitting in your emergency department or they're an African sitting in a very poor hospital situation in Africa. So I think sometimes you can reason with people because we all know we're not God. I mean, and if you start at that common point, it's sometimes people get it, mm -hmm. that we won't understand the side of heaven mm -hmm. why these things are happening. But we have to believe in a good God who is working for our good. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So I think that we can get them to that point. That helps to bring the peace that they're really searching for. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, yeah and it is peace. Yeah. It is peace yeah. that they're ultimately searching for. Yeah. I think my my point on the flip side was giving God credit when there was healing is that, I don't know, for whatever reason, I got to Africa as a missionary and that there were two events that occurred, uh, two patients that were so profound um, and it just, I came face to face with, wow, I, I didn't have anything to do with this. There, there was a little girl who basically was in a seizure, status epilepticus, a seizure for hours. Um, and those of you who have medical background may understand, an active seizure, more than 20 minutes, and for hours, it's still going to start killing off brain cells. She was in a coma for three days. We treated her for cerebral brucellosis and cerebral malaria. After three days, um, my daughter and I went down to pray for her. She was laying unresponsive three days and at the end of the day the clinic worker came up and I said well how's the little girl he kind of went through there were several different patients we've been taking care of and I said well how is she and he started to shake his head and I thought oh no did she die and he then started laughing and he said you should come see her and I said come. he said you need to come see her so I went down there she was sitting on the table she'd been on a table that was our our hospital bed with an IV hanging from a nail on the wall she was sitting on the edge of the bed with her legs swinging, and she was asking for chewing gum. <laughs> and uh, she wanted to walk home. She was hungry. She wanted to eat. And the family was, you know, she was ready to walk home. And I said, you've been in a coma for three days. I think you can wait till tomorrow morning <laughs> and, and to walk, not walk home in the dark. And she walked home. She was fine. She actually came to the clinic like six months later with a cut on her foot where she'd been riding a bicycle. And... You know, it's like she wasn't deaf, she wasn't blind, she was totally normal. And she had no deficit. And I thought, okay, medically, I, I don't know how this is possible. 
Um, and I realized, okay, it wasn't me. It wasn't really anything I did here. Um, I don't think Satan would do a good work, so I'll give Jesus credit. I guess God <laughs> did this. Another case was um, an old man who basically had a stroke. Um, he was brought to the clinic, hemiparesis, one whole side just limp. Um, and he was that way for months. We sent him to Tenwick Hospital. He, they treated him, I don't know, we probably treated him for brucellosis and malaria and TBI. He got treated for a bunch of stuff. He came back home, he was still. I mean, he was better, but he was paralyzed. One arm, one leg was totally paralyzed. And they'd bring him to the clinic every now and then because he'd get dehydrated and he'd be unresponsive and we'd give him some fluids and he'd kind of perk up. Um, but he still, you know, one arm and leg for months did not work. And one day, his family came to my house, and I was saying, well, how's your dad? And they said, oh, he's out with the goats today. I was like, he's out with the goats? And they said, yeah, he's out herding the goats. And I I could imagine, you know, one son under one arm and the other son son holding the other arm, and they were dragging dad out to the goats. Uh, Maybe they propped him up under a tree or something. But then the next day, I went to church, and I came in. They were already singing, and he was sitting in the pew And he was singing, and then he got up after church, and he walked over to me, and he shook my hand. And I was kind of like, you're shaking my hand. And he was standing there, and he was shaking my hand. And then he started speaking, and he started at the very beginning, and he went through every single event. And he he told me about the hospital. He told me about every trip to the clinic and all I had done for him. And I was just standing there, like, for ten minutes, aghast, like, how is this happening? You're standing there, and you're telling me everything, and there was no slurred speech. He was totally coherent and totally strong. And then he, he finished his story, and he said, do you know what happened? Do you know who did this for me? And I was like, he said, Jesus did this for me. And I said, you better believe Jesus did this for you, because I did not do this for you. And then I watched, and he walked across the pl- He walked home. And several miles, he walked home, and then he came back to visit me. Totally fine. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. There's nothing in my American medical brain that can explain total hemiparesis for months and then totally fine. And I remember walking home that day thinking, wow, okay, my medical worldview has just changed. I did not do this. I cannot take credit for this, so who am I going to give credit for? And, again, I don't think Satan would do this good thing. So, okay, God. And I, I, for me, it was, it was a choice. And I have chosen. When healing happens, I'm going to give God credit. And so here in the States, again, that's when healing happens, just deciding I'm going to give Jesus credit for this. I'm going to give God credit for this. And then hopefully show patience, too. That's where it came from. All right, it's 5 o'clock. I need to conclude. So thank you very much for the interaction, and I appreciate it very much. Thank you.